Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Hello, welcome to the ESPN Footy Pod. We are back after a big round seven, some unbelievably good results, some fantastic footy, plenty to talk about as there always is. So we better get started and jump into some chat. But before we crack in, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. For today's episode, you have me, Marissa Lodanik, Anna Harrington, and Sarah Burt. The gang is all here, which is a very exciting thing to have. So before we wade into all the discussion points, we'll do a quick recap of the round's results. So we started off with Carlton stopping the rot. They beat the Saints by 27 points. Richmond made it five in a row. They beat the Eagles by 19. The Suns were big winners over the Swans by 34. The Crows beat Fremantle by 18. Brisbane beat North in a close one by seven points. The Hawks also made it three in a row. They beat Port Adelaide by 13. Geelong really made their finals credentials uh, sing. They beat Essendon by 15. The Ds were huge winners over the Dogs by 64. And Collingwood rounded out the round by beating the Giants by 32 points. So plenty of games to talk about in and amongst those results. But I think we're going to start with Hawthorne. I don't think any of us expected a lot from the Hawks. I don't think that's unfair to say, but they're now three in a row and they've beaten Port Adelaide, which was a side that everyone kind of had earmarked as maybe showing a bit of something this season. So are you surprised by the Hawks' resurgence and kind of good results, Harrow? I mean, when I watched them play that game against St Kilda, uh, scores-wise you'd think, oh, geez, this team's going to really struggle to get anywhere near it. But when you look at I guess um, it was easy probably to take that as a one-off when they actually played quite well for periods of that game just didn't take their chances they had two players go down with serious injuries one at the first bounce one in, in Tamara Luke and Lou Stevenson early in the first quarter as well but yeah it's like they were competitive against Essendon in their in their opener I, I think we just thought that after a couple of losses or two three losses it was going to be a real real struggle like really maybe dire stuff but to their credit they've They've dug in, like, and Bet Goddard, Goddard is obviously a good coach. We know this, you know, she's got the flag to prove it. Um, and they've, yeah, they've just built. I guess that's one thing you can't really write off young and new teams because they're going to develop chemistry. They're going to build. Um, they're well set up. You've got a couple of players with, you know, with strong AFLW experience, and obviously young players like a Jazz Fleming as well coming in and impressing. So. Yes, I am surprised that we've seen them win three in a row. Like, I don't think many people aren't. But maybe when we look a bit deeper, we we shouldn't have been so surprised and maybe riding, as much, riding them off as much as I think plenty were. Yeah, I think I need to eat my words. I was pretty, um, I was pretty damning of Hawthorne, not because I, um, I didn't think that they would be good, but I just didn't expect that they would get um, consecutive wins sort of so early on. And it's really impressive. And you're right, Harry, like early on, it looked like it might have been um, sort of a real walkover for them for the whole season. But it's Sydney, West Coast and Port Adelaide. And, I mean, they're not the best teams in the competition, but um, they have times where they shine as well. And I think something that's really exciting watching the Hawks this week and the last couple of weeks is that there's not one real standout player. There's depth in the side. 
um, and they don't rely on one star player and their structure. Um, you can see that they're mixing it up. So um, they're clearly trying things and it seems to be working. So I think it's really exciting. And um, I spoke to Tilly Lucas right after the game and it seems like they're, um, it's a huge morale boost for them really. Um, so um, I think it's really exciting. Yeah, I was just saying uh, moves like throwing just stuff and forward. We talked about last pod as well, just structuring up, giving yourself a target ahead of the footy. Like, yeah, they're all just little tweaks that, you know, can make a big difference. And as Sarah said, like, Two of these wins come against expansion teams. I think West Coast would have been pretty disappointed to lose the one they did against Hawthorne too. But you can only beat who's in front of you, right? Like, so they deserve all the credit. And um, I'm sure it's going to get a bit tougher from from here on in. But, you know, getting those wins on the board, it doesn't just set you up to, you know, maybe have a a nice-looking win-loss ledger this season. But they're the sort of things that you can build on going into next season and beyond, which, let's be honest, is what these expansion teams really need to be looking forward to. I will say, just looking forward, they've got the Giants next up, so wouldn't put it past them to potentially get that four in a row. But um, you said, Harrow, that it was about teams taking their chances. Port did not. They were 110 for the game, which is, it's a killer. It's, you, can't, you can't win a game of football scoring like that. It's a shocker, but it's a good segue, I suppose, to talk about some of the other sides, which also just kind of, shot themselves in the foot with their inaccuracy and the two kind of big culprits here were both the Kangas and Collingwood and it opens up a really nice discussion about those two sides so obviously um, Collingwood got the win the ruse didn't but we spoke a little bit last week about kind of the top four and how those two teams are basically battling for number four so with another kind of round of evidence, another game into the sample size. How do we feel about who is actually going to be top four? Is it the the Roos or is it the Pies based on what we've seen? I mean, the Roos have had a brutal um, run of games that they have lost. But as you mentioned, bad kicking can be bad football or just uh, failing to take your chances. We saw that, I think, against Melbourne. This is North Melbourne I'm talking about. We saw it against Brisbane and we saw it against Adelaide. Like they're all teams where you have to take your chances or you're going to be left to pay the price. Whereas I think Collingwood, as much as they sort of peppered the goals on the weekend against GWS and really made like what should have been a really straightforward victory look quite difficult. Um, well, not difficult. They still won by five goals, but that's the difference. Collingwood are getting the results done. Like they're, they're ticking the boxes. They're, they're finding a way to win, even if it's winning ugly. And, yeah, as I said, it, it's, it's kind of difficult for North in the sense that they have had a pretty, a pretty brutal run with some of those top three teams in there. But it's really all shaping up to be Collingwood's to claim, to be honest, because as much as you look at their respective fixtures and North Melbourne should go over to Port Adelaide and win that comfortably, uh, Collingwood should go over to Fremantle and win that. And then it, it really is just North versus Collingwood in that last round and it could come down to that. So... I mean, if North actually have the medal that they've been showing glimpses of, then they should be able to knock over Collingwood because they've got close to the to the other three teams. But Collingwood are the ones getting the runs on the board at the moment. And I think when it comes to things like locking in a top four spot, it's all about consistency and, and getting the job done. Yeah, I wonder if the um, finals experience that Collingwood have, um, albeit that they don't often go deep into it, um, is is helping them here because they've got that, 
they've got that experience in their side because I I agree with you, Harrow. I think that the Kangas, um, I think they're probably the better side on paper, but um, Collingwood should be, they should be winning by more and they should be um, showing more promise than they are. Like the win this week, it was, it was a great win, but it wasn't, amazing footy it wasn't something where you walked away thinking that this is a really fantastic premiership winning side so um I, I agree with you I think it might come down to to when they play each other and again we know with injuries and and ins and outs who knows how that will affect it but we know that they are two sides with real depth um and yeah so I think um it might come down to that but yeah I think they should both win their games this week um so we may not know until until they face each other that'll be a hell of a match just quietly I reckon um just when you look at the way these two teams match up I think uh, North would have the edge around the on-ball division just because they bat a bit deeper there. Um, Jazzy Garner, Ashwardell, Jenna Bruton, whereas um, Collingwood, I found that obviously you can't help things like Bree Davy and Britt Benici being out for the season, but it was very much Jamie Lambert and a bit of a supporting crew on the weekend. Chloe Malloy even went in there at times. Um, I think she's been really important for them just in terms of pinch. She missed a couple on the weekend, but in terms of pinching goals at the right time, um, I think they've got that that bit more, they can maybe be a little bit more dynamic um, Collingwood when they get it inside 50. So I think that'll be, that'll be a belter. It's one that obviously we'll be homing in on next week, but yeah, it's, I think it is just a tale of one team's really taken their opportunities and the, and the other hasn't. So I'm glad you mentioned Jazz Garner there. Cause again, she was fantastic for the Kangas, the 20 disposal, six marks, three clearances, She's just, it's real like, yeah, of course she's good. She does this every week. And we had a few of those, I suppose, regular suspects pop up again this week. Kiara Bowers was fantastic for Fremantle. You have a whole bevy of players that were just fantastic for the Crows. It becomes a bit of like a, a shopping list, like a regular shopping list. It's like, hmm, Hatchard, Marinoff, Randall, just bang, 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 bang. Um, but another player who was really phenomenal was Maddie Prosparkus for Essendon. And again, we know she's good. Both Prosparkuses, they're very, very good. Or Prosparkai. We're not getting into the um, plural debate right now. But Maddie's game, 37 disposals, 10 clearances in a losing performance, it does have to be uh, said. But the question that we kind of posed pre-record was, can she win the best and fairest despite Essendon's record? So I put it to both of you. Can she? I think she can. Um, I think that's the second most disposals in the history of AFLW. And I think that we possibly need to um, acknowledge the way it works and that, as Harry mentioned before um, the record, in the good teams people take points off each other, but um, it's all Maddie Prosparkus. Essendon is Maddie Prosparkus. So um, while it might have been really entertaining if her younger sister <laughs> had played on the weekend if she wasn't suspended they might have been um competing against each other because uh we know that Georgie is really fantastic player emerging player but um I think Maddie can um and her consistency she's got it before um and she's completely carrying that team even though albeit um you know they haven't had a super super successful season um I think yeah because and then well the question comes up who takes it off her that's it. Like, I think we're on the same page here, Sarah. Like, pretty much every game, Essendon play well, or even the ones they don't. Prisparkus is the standout. I think the only exception is when um, she got tagged out by Hosking against Richmond, and that was really a key to the game. I'm surprised more teams haven't 
taken that approach because she just puts Essendon on her back and and goes. You'd like you'd be watching the game and every three seconds it felt like she was getting the ball or having an impact or you know getting in and under a pack. She just, just doesn't stop. Um, might have some competition for the votes, I think, in that game because Chloe Shear was super. Um, if she'd been a bit more accurate around goals, probably would probably would pinch the three off her. Just a super influential performance, Amy McDonald there. Um, but yeah, there's there's got to be a few contenders like surely Ebony Marinoff and Anne Hatchard. They're the classic example of players that would take votes off each other, right? Like, but Marinoff just feels like she's been at that consistent high level again. Um, I don't know what to make of who can contend for it from the Demons because we've seen things like Liv Purcell really step up. It's not maybe the Paxi show as it was a few years ago. Who You know, Karen Paxman used to just rack up votes. Um, I think you, you, you can't rule out players like Jazz Garner, who's just influential. Like you look, I mentioned that loss to Melbourne. She was everywhere in that. Um, and, you know, players like Emily Bates is always going to be up and around the tally as well. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's what makes me think that Chelsea Randall is a – outside chance again taking votes off each other but it's hard to I think kind of look past just what Prasparkas is doing week in week out Charlie, Charlie Robottom is maybe a, a smoky as well doing some good things for Gold Coast but yeah it, for me it's just like every time you watch Essendon as I said bar that one game Prasparkas has been in the top handful of players on the ground and if you're already a known vote winner then you have to think that's gonna play in her favor come season's end I think it's going to be a really interesting count kind of regardless of what happens in these next few rounds, but we will obviously be watching with plenty of interest and intrigue. I'm going to open up the floor. Were there any other results that were really exciting or interesting that you want to talk about? Because it it was a big round. We've covered some of it, but was there anything that you're like, no, we need to mention this. We need to talk about this right now. Richmond just keep on keeping on. Like, I think, was it five in a row now? Like, I don't think anyone would have really seen this coming. Um, They've gone from strength to strength. They'll have another big test playing Carlton this week um, because the Blues, uh, Sarah's Blues, they're a bit up and about um, after the the weekend. They've kept their actual finals hopes alive. Um, Last week, I basically... Drew a line under, I think St Kilda and Essendon went, no, no one else, no one else is getting near it. Um, just based on percentage and Carlton obviously looking to prove me wrong. Um, but yeah, I think I'm more just excited for the what this end of the season is going to bring. Like the top four bar if North Melbourne shuffling seems pretty locked and loaded. But when you've got teams like uh, you know, Gold Coast keeping themselves, well, they're now in the eight, Carlton putting pressure on. I think it's going to be too difficult for Hawthorne, as I sort of said, with percentage. But, yeah, it's Richmond that have sort of really excited me, and that's with Katie Brennan being in and out of the team with that foot injury. I think they're a much better team when she's in it, so it's quite a credit to them that they're able to still get a few of these results over the line when she's not been there. Sarah, what did you like? Yeah, so I think we were both about to say the exact same thing at the same time. (laughs) Uh, I'm really pumped for the Tigers. Five wins in a row, as you said. I don't think any of us expected that. It just it goes to show that, and I know I've talked about it before, that Ryan Ferguson has come in and done a really good job. And I know that um, they, they're an inaugural coach. They, they didn't win a game and they brought Ryan in and there's been a steady impro- improvement. But I think it's a real testament to his coaching and the cohesion in the side because they have lost players, but they haven't probably been as affected by expansion as some of the other sides. And so it's a real testament to the way that they pulled together. But if I haven't, and I'm nervous to make this um, public, but 
if I haven't got my numbers wrong, they will make finals now uh, because there's only three rounds left. And, well, I mean, actually, a lot will have to go wrong if they get out um, because it's Carlton GWS and the Roos to come and they're currently a win and a really big percentage ahead of the Dogs and we saw the Dogs um, lose by a lot. So um, I think that we're going to see them in finals and I think that's going to be really, really exciting. Um, yeah, and as I said, the Dogs, huge, huge loss and it's really it's it's really disheartening for them because they have been a really consistent, really good side, and they've lost a couple of their key players. But it's um yeah, it's really sad for them. And um, Marissa, I know you're a big fan of the post match comments from Nathan Burke. So <laughs> we we've been giggling about it all morning. But like on a serious note, um, I think the dogs probably would have looked at this game like just don't lose by a lot. Let's keep the damage to a minimum. And then obviously that plan flew out the window and um, Nathan Burke was not mincing his words post-game. Uh, he said something to the along the lines of, I don't give a rat's clang about the fact that we've lost three in a row. We, we played <laughs> dumb football. Um, and obviously dumb football, that's like a, you know, a pretty harsh assessment, but not an unfair one. But we've just been giggling at rat's clang. I don't know what a rat's clang is. <laughs> Would love to find out. Um, don't want to suggest what it may be because I don't want to swear on this pod. But um, Nathan Burke, master of words, absolutely loved it. But We've okay. been told we've both already used our two swear words for the so yeah, yes we're not allowed to swear anymore and we will abide by those rules but um yeah Nathan Burke rats clang just really funny <laughs> really funny um but like you said super disappointing for the dogs so um I suppose they've put themselves in a not a great position then to kind of charge towards finals because they had been looking the goods. We spoke about it when we were talking about is the top eight locked. We kind of said, yeah, the dogs don't look too bad. They need to, obviously Melbourne's going to be a test, but if they can kind of come through that a little bit unscathed, things should be fine. But um, definitely scathed. They definitely came out of that one scathed. Um, you know what I find frustrating about the, oh, sorry to no, interrupt. No, please. You know what I find frustrating about the dogs is that when I look at them, I like they are capable of being much higher up the ladder and I don't know where that really falls apart because when you look at them defensively they're really strong midfield they're really strong they probably need to work on their accuracy in front of goals which we know is is the most obvious reason for why good teams fail obviously you've got to get goals but they like Traditionally, they've been a really good team and they've managed to keep a lot of their cohort in expansion. So it's really frustrating to watch and, and you can't understand why they are where they are. And particularly with such a big loss last week, it's I think there's going to be a lot of Doggies fans that are scratching their heads and wondering sort of what's going on behind closed doors there. I think the only like potential explanation I have is just that they are like for all of the good players and they are obviously good they're still very young. They lack that AFLW level experience. So in those moments where maybe things aren't going their way, they haven't yet figured out how to either stop the bleeding, 
fix whatever's happening. They're still young enough that they're, they haven't uh, gained that experience in order to fix things when they are going wrong. That's my only kind of potential explanation. And um, it, it, regardless, it would still no doubt be frustrating. And I think Berkey's words kind of uh, share that frustration very plainly and very clearly. But um, <laughs> I, I do think they'll, they've got a much easier, I suppose, run home. They've got games that they should be winning on paper. So if they can kind of come back strong and finish the season strong to at least make finals, I think that'll be a real positive for them. And hopefully then it's just more experience into these young players and they can then build on it for next season to um, not have those fade outs or just, um, you know, continuing to let the wound bleed kind of thing as they did against the Ds. It's interesting because pre-season we were predicting sort of which expansion sides might go under, which might be good. Um, and I can't even remember. I think I think possibly we said Hawthorne might be okay and I don't think really anyone really expected it. Oh, no, Essendon we did say we thought expected to be pretty good, which is which has come to fruition. But something that I certainly didn't predict is that teams like the Dockers and the Dogs would struggle. And it's hard to know if that's because they've been raided by expansion or, um, you know, different time of year we're playing in the season or um, shorter pre-season training, all of these things. But it's really interesting. I don't think any of us expected that some of the um, inaugural or existing teams would struggle like, um, like the expansion side. So it's really interesting that that's happened. I'm just getting up the ladder because one of my my big call for the year was that the expansion sides would not occupy the final four spots on the ladder. And I think thanks to Essendon uh, coming good, this um, prediction is going to be true. Um, but technically Hawthorne's above Essendon on the ladder at the moment, which is very exciting. So the final four spots are the Giants, Port, Frio and Sydney. I think out of those Three Frio is the real surprise, and I just every every game you read a match report, you watch the game, you're just like another injury for Frio. It seems to just be a real cursed season for them, and they lost a couple of players on the weekend as well. But um, yeah, I think a lot of the inaugural sides and the established sides will feel, I suppose, a little bit of hurt pride, maybe at not. Um, beating the expansion sides because without claiming that they're easy beats there was an expectation that um you know seven seasons in now the kind of general wisdom is that established sides are good and expansion sides need a little bit of time to find their feet and get things going but um this season has kind of I suppose thrown that theory on its head a little bit because as we've said Essendon have been really good and especially in that first half of the season weren't just winning but taking it up to those established sides as well they were only losing by you know under a goal and whatnot and Hawthorne's obviously um proving that they can do good things as well against those bottom half sides so um it might even be a case of just there's a real clear split between kind of the top eight sides and the rest of the competition where 
you know, the, the, the difference between an expansion side and a bottom half established club really isn't that big at all, which is obviously great for expansion sides, great for um, general competition, um, like a level playing field kind of thing, but probably not great for those established clubs who had thought maybe, oh, well, you know, we've got to at least be better than the new guys. We, we know what we're doing. We're a few years old. The new guys are very, very new. So, yeah. It might shake up the uh, the trade and draft period a bit more because people might start looking at things a bit differently and and realizing that it it's not a it's not a um, pun the pun free kick when you play an expansion side um, because if you look at people like Hawthorne I know I said they don't rely on one player but they've got Tilly Lucas Rod they've got Caitlin Ashmore like now that she was back in she was great this week so they do have that experience. So it's not like you've got an expansion side coming in that have um, a million inexperienced players who, you know, don't know the rules of the game. It's, it's a different world. And we're also starting to see, which is something else that may be worth mentioning is early on when we had that first introduction of new teams when the Tigers came in, we were still very much in that phase where, players were getting pulled from netball or hockey or soccer and different games and literally learning the game on the go. Whereas now all of the young players that are being pulled in have all played footy before. So we're in that real phase of development where it's not, it's not actually going to be a huge disadvantage um, if you don't have an established list already, because all of these players have played before and they know the structure and they know how to take coach and feedback. So um, I think that's something worth mentioning as well now that we're in the seventh season. Yeah, the development pathway actually being a proper pathway and not like a, a couple of bus stops along the way for a lot of the established talent. You know, you think of the inaugural players who most of them were maybe playing 40 years kids if they were lucky in boys teams and then had to stop when they were teenagers so I think it's a really important and valid point and obviously it's only get going to get better as we progress further into the history of the AFLW and these players continue to just play footy from when they're literally five years old down at Auskick so there's plenty to look forward to there's also plenty to look forward to in round eight of the competition which is the pride round which is always a phenomenal round so my two-part question is what game are you looking forward to round date and which jumper has impressed you most so far not all of them have been released but from what you've seen what are you liking the look of okay hmm. I'm looking forward to uh lions and Adelaide crows which seems to be an obvious answer um, but obviously I think that will be a real telltale sign of um, who win, who can win the premiership really. Um, I'm Yeah, I think everyone will be excited to tune into that. And it, I think something that we'll, we'll all be hoping for is after a few really big blowouts, we know Adelaide was involved in one of them last week, um, after a few big blowouts, hopefully it's a really close game and hopefully we don't see any of those um, sort of massive disparities between the sides like we've been talking about. Um, Obviously, neither of them expansion sides and they both have finals experience. So I think that will be a really fantastic game. So that's the easy answer. 
But um, the more niche answer would be my blues and Richmond. I think that will be really exciting to watch. Harrow mentioned before that it'll be a good game. And I think it will be a real telltale sign for the Tigers because, as we said, they are likely to make finals. Um, but if they don't beat the Blues, then um, there might be a few question marks hanging around, sort of even if they do make finals, whether they deserve to be there based on consistency. Um, and I think when you see those two sort of mid-tier teams playing against each other, it is, I don't like using this word, but it is a barometer of what's going on in the league. So I'm really excited to see that. In terms of jumpers, I really like the Demons jumper, I think. Um, I really like that it's not um, super busy. I think that it's cool that they've got the dark blue straight down the front and then all of the pride rainbow up the top in the V. I really like it. It's simple compared to some of the others, um, but I think it's really effective. Um, But, yeah, I'm not a fashion expert, but um, I like it. (laughs) What about you? Well, this is where I think I'm a fashion expert whenever there is uh, themed rounds which involve jumpers. So Indigenous Indigenous round, Pride round, I'm like, ah, yes, look at me, fashion expert. I have so many thoughts. But um, just quickly on games I'm looking forward to, Freo Collingwood because Freo, I think someone, I can't remember who said it, but it was like Freo are like the best bottom four side you're ever going to see because they can turn it on. So I think it is going to be a test for Collingwood. And we saw how kind of shaky or slow they were to start against the Giants. So against a team like Freo who might be able to punish them more than the Giants, I think it's going to be a really interesting contest. And obviously Collingwood need to keep winning in order to stay in this top four conversation. And fun tidbit, learnt this this morning, Collingwood have yet to leave the state. So this trip to Freo will be their first venture out of Victoria in seven weeks of footy, which I thought was bananas, but I suppose also um, very indicative of only a 10-round season. So we'll be looking forward to that one. But in terms of the pride jumpers, I can't go past the dogs ones. Like if we're going to talk about simplicity, it it really is the most simple jumper. They've literally just changed the colours of their normal jumper, but the fact that it is just a, a giant walking trans flag, I think, is really important. We know the dogs have always been really, um, I suppose, strong on not just doing the rainbow thing, but really kind of um, going deeper into the various uh, sexual orientations and gender identities. They had that uh, jumper a couple of years ago, which was just all of the little flags kind of around the hoops uh, to reflect all those orientations and identities. And so the fact that they've really gone heavy on a specific section of the LGBTQI plus community, I think is really, really awesome. And we know that it's an area that the the wider footy community is coming to terms with, especially with people like Danny Laidley out and proud. So I think the fact that they've done this, even though it's a really like simple looking jumper, I think it's its meaning and what it could potentially do is really, really invaluable and really, really important. So very, and also it's pretty like blue and white and pink. It's very, very pretty. That's my official um, fashion. It comes the fa- <laughs> It, I think it's pretty. The colours are pretty. But, no, I think it's a, a really important message and really, really awesome from the dogs. And it's always good to see every club really, I suppose, gets in touch with their various pride groups, with the players, with the community, with the fans. So 
it's always a good round. Also, just quickly, really glad to see West Coast actually have a jumper this year so we don't have to have that conversation as we did last season. But um, that's us done for this week's episode. Remember, you can always find Sarah's written stuff over on ESPN.com.au. Don't forget to get your tips in. I very quietly had a perfect round, which I'm very proud of. Um, But, yeah, make sure you get those tips in, you read Sarah's stuff, and we'll see you all next week. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod, wherever you get your podcasts.